0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello, and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm James Seif, and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson, editor of The Spectator, and Katie Balls, the deputy political editor of The Spectator. And guess what we're discussing this week? Boris Johnson and can he survive? Katie, you wrote the magazine's cover story this week under the headline, Survivor, you know, addressing this very question. As you sit back at the end of this week, how do you think it has gone for Boris Johnson? And do you think his chances of surviving have increased or decreased as the week has gone on
1: yeah i think at this point it's probably worth pointing out that while the magazine front has the word survivor it also has boris johnson with one leg depicted as as the black knight who uh, you know these i think to most others you would imagine they would have left the pitch by now but they are still going in in the face of all the challenges and all the criticism
2: we can probably share with the listeners katie that it was There was some debate over that, right? You know, if you put the word survivor, are you tempting fate? Could he be gone by the weekend? Because we are still living in a period where anything could happen, right? He could be gone in any sort of three or four day period, depending. It's it's so difficult to predict. But, But we thought that if we do the Monty Python Black Knight and call him Survivor, there's enough irony there. And also it gets across, I suppose, that he keeps... In the same way that Monty Python's Black Knight would lose an arm and a leg and still keeps on saying, ah, oh, tis but a scratch, nothing wrong with me. That's kind of his strategy so far, isn't it? He keeps getting these blows that would kill off a lesser mortal, but he bounces back as if nothing happens.
1: Yeah, almost the biggest strength is the fact that he just... The thing that is easiest to predict, I think, and it's, as you say, quite jumpy, is the fact that Boris Johnson will not resign. And therefore, it just means all the options to remove him are, mu- are much trickier. But I think, James, in response to your question... I think things have got worse for Boris Johnson this week than at the beginning of the week. We've seen the vote on Thursday ultimately just exposing the fact that the parliamentary party is still very uncomfortable, that the number 10 political operation has not uh, improved in a way that meant they uh, avoided U-turns on what they were going to tell the MPs to do in relation to this Labour vote, calling for Boris Johnson to face a, a Commons investigation. Uh, and the fact they had to change tax suggests that the initial prediction by the, those around Boris Johnson, by the whips, that they could actually get uh, MPs to support them to spare Boris Johnson's investigate was miscalculated, and therefore perhaps they've miscalculated the level of, dis- of discomfort amongst Tory MPs. But if you look at the people who have come out so far to say Boris Johnson should go, so far it I think it is fair to say they are, broadly speaking, the usual suspects. The most significant one is obviously Steve Baker. And if you look earlier in the week, Mark Harper. I think the fact that Mark Harper and Steve Baker have come out changes the calculation a little bit. But there are also the figures that when you've had conversations with ministers, with government advisers about you know, where this could go, it's always been the sense that people like Mark Harper have been very unhappy and, and critical of, of Boris Johnson. So looking worse... But I still think we're at a place where, yes, Tory MPs don't want to go out and particularly back Boris Johnson. But I think we're somewhere away from this idea that they have decided they want to sack him.
0: Fraser, you say in your Daily Telegraph column on Friday that the Tory MPs can't decide whether to back or sack Boris Johnson. How sustainable is a position where a party can't decide on a question like
2: that? I'm afraid it's very sustainable. Let's look back to Theresa May after her disastrous 2017 general election. It was clear that she was a goner. You can't lose a party's majority and survive, yet survive she did. And she survived for quite some time because they couldn't agree on who would succeed her. They figured that the the drama of a leadership uh, contest would be too damaging and that the outcome of that contest would be too uncertain. So you can stay in limbo. And I think that's what Keir Starmer's vote has done this week. It has confirmed to the world and to the Tories themselves that Boris Johnson does exist in this kind of limbo, uh, with um, MPs, three quarters of whom, will not say anything positive or negative about him on the record. They're reserving their judgments. And he's got a, you know a, about, I think it's about 80-odd MPs, who are saying nice things about him, a good member of them are in their, their, his government, so they, they kind of don't much have much choice to do that. And you've got not even a dozen MPs calling for him to go, although we know that there are a great many, more than that, who think that he should. So this is difficult, but under the British system, it will continue for quite some time until there is some kind of consensus on a successor. Now, I don't think that Boris Johnson leaked the non-dom status of Richie's next wife. But if he did, you could see the logic, because the moment that happened that made him a lot more stable, all of a sudden, the guy most likely to succeed him, this Chancellor who seemed that he'd been tested through the fire of lockdown and the fire of being dropped into an emergency budget, would actually, uh, could not walk through the fire of a furore over his wife's tax status. So now that Rishi Sunak is way down the league table of who Tory members want next, I think he's sixth or seventh for something like that, Liz Truss is at the top, and Liz Truss, by the way, I, I, I'll confess to being an admirer of Liz Truss's, but my high opinion is not shared by um, the 2020 and in, in intake. For some reason, those who came into Parliament with her, a lot of them, they make up about a quarter of the, of the MPs, they would do anything to stop her. So if there would be a leadership election, you would have a front-runner, Liz Truss, and then you would have a stop-the-front-runner campaign. Tory leadership campaigns are always like this, because Tory leaders are chosen for who they're not, not who they are. I mean, Ian Duncan Smith was not Michael Portillo. Margaret Thatcher was not Ted Heath. And so it continues. So that's why it's so difficult to predict. And that's why I think Boris Johnson is fairly safe for the moment.
0: Katie, you can see that Boris Johnson kind of wants to change the conversation. You can see his frustration on this visit to India, but he keeps being asked about parties. What options do Downing Street have, if any, to try and move the political conversation off the fact that the Prime Minister has has received his spine and his own future onto other territory? Because right now, the rest of the political landscape, when you think about cost of living, crisis, and the like, it doesn't see. There is an obvious safe turf for the government to try and land on.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge. I think you've also got the sense of, is this going to... Now that Boris Johnson is facing three different judgments on him over Partygate, so Sea Grey report will eventually come out, We we believe one day and then you also have obviously the police investigation that will now be after local election results and if we hear of any more fines and then you also have the standards committee. does this mean party gates going to stay as the number one issue in terms of conversations i think it's too early to actually say it It might be that it does drop off a bit just in the coming in the coming weeks there's no more fines if if things are rumbling along so it's it's one story but not the main one but as you say it comes down to what is the government's agenda you saw last week fairly successfully you had a situation where the fines came out but by the weekend everyone was talking about Rwanda and the government's plan to offshore those for processing here across the channel to, to come to the UK now it's not enough to, to move things away for more than a few days but I think if there's going to be more you know eye-catching policies I think that's something that that Boris Johnson's new team have been quite keen to do, which is to try and say to the Tory MPs, particularly those on the right, that we are moving in a more conservative direction and look at these things. Channel 4 announcement. I think David Canzini, the deputy chief of staff, when he's been having meetings with special advisors, one of the things he said recently was, you know, every day this week we've done something conservative. We've been announcing something conservative. So there's definitely a tactic to try and show a purpose and a direction. How long you can keep that up when, you know, how many more things can they announce when they're quite limited on, obviously, spending, on funds? I think there's probably, there's, a, there's limits there. You, of course, have the Queen's speech coming up. But I think when it comes to cost of living, that is a tricky thing. But yet yeah, number 10, want to almost show Boris Johnson taking control on cost of living. So next week, we're going to have the Prime Minister chairing a meeting of secretaries of state, coming up with ideas to ease it. I think all this risks, in a way, though, just exposing how, how big an issue it is for lots of people and how uh, there is just no easy political solution
2: to it. I was actually struck um, calling around MPs yesterday of how many of them um, back the Rwandan scheme. Um, and uh, I think the consensus seems to be that the public opinion is with the Prime Minister on this, even though the media opinion is against him. Although I've seen some polls that suggest it's far more evenly balanced. But there would certainly those who back Boris Johnson say, look, this is an example of how he manages to find these wedge issues. And he manages to get everybody talking about a subject that most people support him on. But I'm not sure how reflective, whether well, well, this is likely to hold. What do you think, Katie, in terms of the reaction on the Rwandan?
1: I think, generally speaking, there are lots of MPs who think it is in the right place and actually have been so worried about the issue of small boat crossings. You know, I speak to MPs who. Ha- in like leafy green areas, and they say constituents email them about the yeah. boat crossings regularly, and have been doing so for months. And therefore, it's not just um you know those who ha- have it uh, in their constituency as a closer issue. So I think there has been a frustration. If you look at meetings, when Boris Johnson's been in, in trouble before, and he's tried to rally the troops, he's kept saying we're going to fix the issue of small boat crossings. Now everyone's thought it's quite misjudged because also you've had pretty. Patel, the home secretary talking about how she's going to stop every it's going to get to zero crossings which i think this be, it's classic boris johnson and his government talking things up and then they're going to under deliver but therefore i think there are a group in the tory party who don't like the rwanda crossings but i would say it's actually a much larger constituency it's not just red wall mps who are fine with it in the sense they can actually say that they're fixing it a problem i think the issue is going to come in a way which is does the scheme actually come into place? Are there going to be legal challenges? If, in a way, I think James has made this point. You can see a world where the government is stopped from doing this through the courts, and that might actually suit some figures in government because you can start to talk, well, we're stopped and the establishment is against us. Whereas I think if this scheme comes into place and it doesn't really work, it doesn't solve the problem, that could start to make it more of an issue for the government.
2: And James, do we think this Rwandan policy will make any dent in the figures? We've got 25,000 people arriving now the small votes over the year. And sure, in theory, we might be shipping some of them to Rwanda, but in practice, I mean, the government has lost control of this issue. So I'm not quite sure why having a random policy will, it, it might make some people think twice. But do we really see that 25,000 figure going down to something significantly lower as a result of the Rwanda policy? So the, the Rwanda
0: policy is modelled in part on, on what Australia did with its Operation Sovereign Borders. But one of the things that made it easier for the Australians is they were intercepting these boats at sea and then taking these people to a place that was en route. While as obviously anyone who is sent to Rwanda from the channel will have to kind of land in the UK, then be put on a plane and then go to Rwanda. Now, I think if you saw that the bulk of people who were crossing the channel were being put on a plane and going to Rwanda, and it's worth remembering, this isn't offshore processing. This is a situation where once you are sent to Rwanda, if your asylum claim succeeds, you can claim asylum in Rwanda, not in the UK. So it is stricter in that sense, I think, mean, than some people realise. I think it will only have a deterrent effect if you see that a large number of people this is happening to. But this isn't, you know, you might be a very unlucky and end up being sent on a plane to to, to Kigali. It's got to be a sense that the that the that this in to be effective as a deterrent. But this is something that is happening to to most people crossing the channel in this manner. That is the big challenge for the government. And I think that there is an element which you do think in some ways. That to be very, very cynical, that the the best outcome for the government might be to somehow be stopped from doing it and be able to say, look, we've got a solution, but you need to give us a majority so we can parliament act it through the House of Lords or or whatever, in terms of of dealing with it. I, I do think that there is also an interesting question here, which is there are some Tory MPs who are not unhappy with the policy, but are less comfortable with picking a fight with the Archbishop of Canterbury over it. But there are some people, particularly in seats with the Lib Dems in Second, who think it would be easier to sell the policy if the policy was sold as a way of saving lives in the Channel, saying, you know, we've got to stop people from taking this very dangerous journey with very unscrupulous people, rather than embracing how opposed it is by certain other people. And if we look back then, so... We might well see more big, dramatic policies from Boris Johnson in the coming days, as in the coming weeks and months, as he tries to shore up his position. But can I just end this podcast by asking you both, what do you think is the key determinant for Tory MPs? Is it the opinion polls? Or what is the thing that will make them decide which way they're going to come down on this question? Um, you first, Katie.
1: I think... We've seen repeatedly that Tory MPs don't want to be the ones to have to get rid of Boris Johnson and, and do the tricky bit. And therefore, they'll constantly find reasons not to do it. And therefore, I'm, in a way, I, I think local election results can be spun, especially if you look at the current projections. I think that you can have a narrative which is, you know, well, you it's midterm, you'll expect this to be bad. We just need to get through party gate pick a few areas perhaps where the Tories have done better than expected if that comes to pass. I think, however, the problem is if the, if you also suddenly now get a whole, uh, you know, new number of fines announced just after the quite bad local election results, that could create, uh, you know, almost a perfect storm for the Prime Minister. I think that if... Boris Johnson is fined for drinks in the number 10 flat. That is an issue, actually, that lots of Tory MPs who are willing to stick with him now feel quite strongly about. And when the Prime Minister addressed MPs on Tuesday night, he was specifically asked by the Tory MP, Aaron Bell, can you tell us now that you did not socialise in the number 10 flat? And he said, you know, no is a one-word answer. Um, So I think that would would be where the fines could get worse. But generally, I, I think... If Number 10 can't improve its operation, if this government looks like it's drifting and you get to that point in a few months' time where things haven't picked up in the polls, but also Number 10 looks messy and the Prime Minister looks like he can't actually do his job, that could eventually lead MPs to think again.
2: Uh, And you, Fraser? I think it would be a combination of the opinion polls, which, by the way, aren't that bad right now. Being seven points behind Labour is nothing compared to, you know, what John Major was. He was 40 points behind um, Labour at one point. And David Cameron spent most of his primaryship with, uh, with, with sort of um, five to seven or worse gap behind Labour. So um, right now, a Tory could look at the opinion polls and they could look at the betting markets and think Boris Johnson is odds-on to win the next election. David Cameron very seldom enjoyed that accolade in his first term. So you'd look at that and think, well, maybe the, the combination of the Boris Factor and Starmer being fairly useless means that he is our least worst option. But I think the major problem will simply be the lack of a consensus around a successor. And I can't see that changing very soon. You would need somebody to, like, say take Jeremy Hunt, say he wants to come back and... Uh, and have another go at Boris Johnson, he would need to start trying to do more to put together a coalition, to put together a potential agenda for government, and to let people have a look at them and get a chance to work out if they would be happy running with a hunt premiership or not. My suspicion is not, by the way. uh, Difficult for Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss to um, show too much leg here. But until one of these candidates has a consensus around them, in the way that Boris Johnson eventually ended up getting a consensus around him, I struggle to see much movement. This is all with a caveat that we are, as we are saying earlier on, living in a sudden death environment and anything could happen at any time. But right now, the loudest sound in the House of Commons, James, as you say in your Times column, is that of silence. And behind that silence lies indecision. And that right now is the state of the Conservative Party.
0: Right, Fraser, Katie, thank you both so much. And if anything does happen, uh, you'll be sure to hear about it here on Coffee House Rocks. Thank you for listening and have a lovely weekend. Thank you.